Today's scripture reading is Galatians 2, verses 15 through 21. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the sin I died to the law, <laughs> for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Galatians 2, 15-21. Let's pray for the morning service. Lord, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. I thank you for the, the study that you have given the pastor this last week. We thank you for the, the, the things that you have shown him. I pray, Lord, that you'll give the pastor the, the strength and the wisdom to teach us what he has studied this week. I pray that your, that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts with your scriptures to teach us how to be better servants for you how to be the kind of Christians you need us to be. In Christ we pray. Amen. Good morning. We're in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Last week we talked about the law and what we learned about the law from special revelation. We learned that the moral law of God was good, that the moral law of God leads to sin, but then sin leads to death or separation from God. We learned that the moral law of God leads to sin being more sinful. So if you have the law and you add it to sin, you get more sin. Paul is beginning and describing a problem that you and I have with our sin nature in chapter 7. Now, he's going to give the answer in chapter 8. The chapter 8 is going to talk about the Holy Spirit being the answer to our problem with the sin nature that we all have. Back in, well, chapter 3, middle of chapter 3, verse 15 and on, the chapter 4 and on to chapter 5, it all talked about justification, about how you're justified, and that you're not justified by the law, but that you're justified by God, the just and the justifier. Now Paul is getting to the point or the problem about you and I sinning, being a justified person. And he's trying to deal with that and trying to give us advice, truth, on how we go on in life being justified and still having the problem of sinning. 
So, Romans chapter 6, verse 19 says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you present your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So he's getting us from justification, and he's trying to get us to sanctification. And now we're going to talk about how sin works in that area of sanctification that you and I have where we're trying to grow to be more like Christ, but we're still battling with sin. <clears throat> so we're in chapter 7. Um, one pastor stood up in church, he was preaching, and he told the congregation in a very loud voice, he said, someday every member in this church will die. Everybody was kind of shocked at that. Except for one guy, he stood up laughing, said, good thing I don't belong to this church. <laughs> but that is true. Every member in that church will die. Now, we're not talking about death this morning. We're talking about sin. <clears throat> I can stand up and shout and say, everybody in this church is going to sin. And it's true, we will. There'll be some temptation, there'll be some cause in our life, there'll be some, something happen when we drive home, something happens at the restaurant we go to, something happens somewhere with a husband or a wife or a spouse or a child or a kid or a tree falling down or something will happen that will cause us to sin. And Paul is trying to explain that being justified and being in the process of sanctification, one of the things that will happen is sinning. Wrong one. Another example, trying to understand how this works. Uh, Damon Robinson, he got uh, fired being a truck drive, a garbage truck driver. He got fired. He's driving a truck driving, a garbage truck. He got fired. He got fired. He ran his truck into the ditch on Monday. On Wednesday, he ran his truck into a brick wall. On Thursday, the clutch went out and the clutch in his truck burned out. On Friday, he tipped the truck over in a country lane. He got fired because he wasn't driving very well. This is what Damon said. He says, I don't feel bad about them kicking me out. See, I'm a former British Army tank driver. I don't think I'm a very good driver anymore. He's used to running into walls with his tank. He's used to running into ditches with his tank. He's used to running into whatever with his tank. And he drives it well but the garbage truck doesn't work the same. See, as a non-believer, our sin life was perfectly sinful, and we were perfectly happy with the sin. And we were perfectly running into walls, running into ditches, running into problems, and we were perfectly happy with the sin we were involved with. 
But the problem is we became believers in Jesus Christ. Somebody told us about the gospel message, we became believers. And by coming a believer in Jesus Christ, he changed our life. And what he did is he gave us the moral law of God. And he says, keep that. And we say, okay, I will try to keep that. And every other moment, it seems like, we can't keep that. We end up running into a wall, running into a ditch, running into something, which didn't bother us in the past, but now bothers us terribly. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We are beginning verse 14. Verse 14. Now, this is a big deal, because in verses 1 through 13, Paul used past tense verbs constantly. Past tense verbs. Starting in verse 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 that we'll look at today, he uses present tense or perfect tense verbs. Perfect tense is something that started in the past and continues to get today. Present tense is something that happens every single day. And now he's talking about present tense things, your relationship with sin. In the verses 1 through 13, he was talking to you about how you were before Christ and how life was in your tank. Now, in verse 14, he is now talking about you driving around in your Porsche and how you cannot drive your Porsche the same way you drive your tank. It doesn't work. Because something happens when you hear the gospel message, you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you repent of your sins, and God spiritually baptizes you, and you are made a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you, and you, for the first time ever, have life. And you have it given to you by God. You do not have to do certain things. You have to not do these 12 things, these 15 things, these 300 things to earn them. It's given to you as a gift. But the problem we have when we're justified in the process of sanctification, we still sin. Why? I'm glad you asked. Verse 14. Here we have the law. What does the moral law of God help the work of sanctification? How does the moral law of God help the work of sanctification? Here we go. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. I know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Number one. As a believer grows in sanctification... The moral law of God is only accomplished by the Holy Spirit. The only way you can accomplish the moral law of God and keep the moral law of God is by having the Holy Spirit within you so that you can do what God wants you to do. In other words, you are able to keep the Ten Commandments only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, You have a law that's given to you that has its source being spiritual. The source of the law being spiritual can only allow you to keep the law on a spiritual basis. 
In the Old Testament, you have the law given to you, and you have certain activities you're supposed to do outside your heart, and you're to do them. Jesus comes along, preaches a Sermon on the Mount, and he tells you, you are now supposed to do this all in your heart. In other words, on the spiritual aspect of your life. The spiritual aspect of your life, which, according to Ephesians, you were dead when you were driving the tank. You are now made alive spiritually, and you're able to perform and do things that please God. In other words, you keep the moral law of God. Notice the first thing he says, for we know, we know. That's oida, that's talking about an intellectual knowledge. You have head knowledge of something. You maybe have never uh, been in a plane, but you know how it flies. This is the same thing. You have head knowledge that the law is spiritual. But at the same time, you know the law is spiritual. You know that you have the flesh. I am of the flesh. We know the person is a believer. We know Paul puts himself in relationship with that believer in Rome. We know. Perfect active tense. Every believer knows the battle between the flesh and the Holy Spirit side of you. The spiritual side of you. The new spirit that's been given to you. The new light that you now walk in. You have been given that. The law is spiritual. The law, as Paul said before, is not the problem in your sin life. Sin is the problem in your sin life. Your sin nature is the problem in your sin life. Your flesh is the problem in your sin life. The work of the law, no flesh will be justified. If you're trying to earn your way to heaven, you never, ever, ever will be done. You cannot do it because you sin. Romans 3.20 says, Because the work of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You'll have more sin with the law, trying to do it physically, rather than doing it from a spiritual, new heart basis. When you have a new relationship with Jesus Christ, you are made alive. And you therefore then have a new relationship with the moral law of God. But I am of the flesh. Paul, even as a believer, had a sin nature because of his connection to Adam and Adam's sin. All of us are connected to Adam. All of us have a sin nature. All of us have a problem with sin and we'll have a problem yesterday, you'll have a problem today, and you'll have a problem tomorrow with sin. Even as a justified person, in the process of sanctification, you will have a problem with sin. Every person has a non-spiritual sin nature, if I can put it that way, within them that rebels against the moral laws of God. The flesh is the human nature without the Holy Spirit. Drop down to verse 16. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. How does the moral law of God help work out sanctification? Second, 
Sanctification is worked out. A believer grows in sanctification. The moral law of God is declared good by the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit recognizes the law is good and responds to the law by seeking to get you and and me to do what the law says. Because we love Jesus Christ. Because He's declared us spiritually alive. Let me make sure I go through the progression here that takes place. Verses 1-13. through It begins with the law, which leads to sinful passions. Sinful passions leads to sinful actions. And sinful actions results in death. Spiritual, physical, and eternal death. We've talked about that last however many Sundays it's been. Four Sundays in chapter 7? Time to move on, isn't it? What we go to now in verse 14 is a little bit different. Because now we're talking about believers. Now we're talking about believers and sinning. This is how it goes. The method begins with the law. The law tells us what to do and what not to do. And it may lead to us sinful passions. And those sinful passions then may lead to sinful actions. And then when we do those sinful actions, the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin. And we confess our sin. And we repent of that sin. And we go on to the next day trying to keep pleasing Jesus Christ, pleasing the Holy Spirit, pleasing by doing the will of God, trying to do what God says to do. And we'll try to do it. The believer grows in sanctification. The moral law of God is declared good because the moral law of God is good. The moral law of God works with the Holy Spirit to convict the sinning believer. I agree with the law. The law is good. The law is not the law does not get me justification. I receive justification from God. The law is good. Agreeing with the law makes me say no to my sinful actions, my sinful passions. And if I say yes to the law, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it shows that I have been saved. You can claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, if I have you raise your hand, everybody would raise your hand, right? Don't raise your hand. You would raise your hand. But it's quite possible that tomorrow we go to work, whatever we do tomorrow, And we live it as sinfully as possible. And all day long we sin. And there's no conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. There's no desire on my part to repent and confess that sin. There's no reason for me to apologize for that sin. Because I live in a tank that sins every day. And this is how you tell a believer. Because a believer knows that he's a new creation, a new child of God, and he wants to please his Father and do God's will and do what God says is holy. 
which is the very meaning of sanctification. We want to do what is holy. And God works it so that we agree with the Holy Spirit that the law is good. Are we on the same page? Do we all agree the law is good? Okay. Thank you. Grunt a little bit louder next time. Now, what about the problem of sin? Go back to verse 14. Verse 14, we skip the end of the verse. Let's not skip the end of the verse this time. Verse 14, For I, we know the law is spiritual and I am flesh, sold into bondage to sin. Sold into bondage to sin. How does the sin nature hurt the work of sanctification? Your sin nature tries to hurt your work of sanctification. It tries to hurt it. Tries to deny it. Tries to stop it. Tries to do everything it can to please itself rather than please God. First thing, number one, the believer's sin nature is under the control of sin. Your sin nature is under the control of sin. Your sin nature wants to do something sinful. Thank you. Your sin nature does not want to do anything righteous. Your sinful nature looks at the moral law of God and says, huh, that says no to that, but I really want that. Because the sin nature always wants what is sinful. It constantly goes what it wants, sinful. It constantly battles with your spiritual side of you to get into the fleshly, physical, sinful, sin nature. So, no matter what you do, you are sold in to the bondage of sin. Sold in, present tense. Every day, you wake up, your sin nature wants to do something Sinful. You want to do it. Matter of fact, with the law telling you not to do something, it makes you want to do it more. And it gets harder. It gets harder. Now, let's be honest here. The Bible says do not gossip. Okay? Let's say that's one of your favorite gifts, is gossiping. Okay? Let's say... You hear a sermon, uh, let's say a fabulous sermon from this church pulpit, and you say, okay, I will not gossip. Let's say Monday, you make it through the whole day without gossiping. What will you do when you wake up Tuesday morning? You'll want to gossip more because you learned so much on Monday you haven't gossiped about yet. And if you go through Tuesday without gossiping, what will happen on Wednesday? You'll have three times the amount of things you want to gossip about. And you will want to gossip. And you'll want to gossip because you got the best, juiciest news you can ever have to gossip. And if you gossip, you will be the hero at your workplace. So you hold off. On Thursday, you don't gossip. But on Friday, what do you have? You have gossip to the fifth power. And it gets harder, and it gets harder, and it gets harder, because somebody at work on Friday will ask you what you think about such and such. 
And that'll be exactly the gossip you know about. That's how it is with sin. Your sin nature wants to sin. 110% of the time. Which is impossible. You can't do it. It wants you to sin. And it makes the desires so hard that you want to give in to it. And your sin nature will hurt your sanctification. Sin nature is under the control of sin. Under the control of sin. Your sin nature is at war because you want to either please sin or please God. Verse 15. Paul says in a confusing way, For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Okay, if that is not Paul confusing you, you've not read much of Paul. Paul says, how does the sin nature hurt the work of sanctification? He says, number two, the believer's sin nature is working against my sanctification. The Holy Spirit in you wants you to be sanctified, wants you to be holy like your heavenly Father is holy. It wants you to be obedient to your heavenly Father. It wants you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading. It wants you to be obedient to the will of God. It wants you to do what pleases God. And your sin nature works against that. And there are days where your sin nature wins more battles than loses. And there are some days where the Holy Spirit wins more battles than loses. But it is a constant battle going on in your heart. Because that's where it starts. That's where you have to battle with sinful passions. And either you will or you won't. And your battle begins in your heart. Because it is a spiritual battle. Before it gets to actions. Number two. Sin nature is working against my sanctification. What am I doing? Doing. Your sin nature is doing everything it can not allowed and making everything not allowed desirable. Can you imagine that? Everything that's not allowable is, not, is desirable. And that's the work of your sin nature. I don't understand. Believer's spiritual perception is made up and made dull by your sin nature. It works on your understanding. If I'm not practicing... The sin nature does things the believer and the Holy Spirit don't approve of. In other words, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what we do when we give in to our sin nature. Sinful actions come not from the moral law of God or from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It only comes from our sin nature that we would like to do. Our spirit wants to do something to please God today. Every one of us wants, wakes up and say, we want to please God today. And our sin nature works against that. But I am doing. The believer is hating the very thing that he's doing because he doesn't want to continually do something that doesn't please God. There are three different Greek words here. Doing, practicing, and doing. Three different words. All of them seem to point towards a repeated sinful action. 
And we do them. And we do them. And we do them. And we end up doing the very thing I hate. The things believers hate that grieve the Holy Spirit, that disappoint our Heavenly Father, we're doing the very things the moral law of God condemns. And we do them. And our sin nature is hurting our work of sanctification in our lives. Number three, verse 17. Romans 7, 17. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. No longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. How does the sin nature hurt the work of sanctification? Number three. A believer's sin nature is working against me if I allow it. If I allow it. If you give in to that temptation, if you allow that temptation to overwhelm you, then your life will not be more sanctified. You'll be in a state where you're not pleasing God. No longer. The new creation does not approve of the sin he's just committed. The new creation, the new believer, the new child of God doesn't want to do something that doesn't please God. Sin is no longer the king of your life because it's been defeated by the cross of Jesus Christ. He has less control over you than other things in your life. The believer has so many different advantages. So many different advantages. You have freedom from your former father, the devil. The one who told you to drive into walls. You have freedom from loving the world that told you to drive into the ditch. You have freedom from the power of sin which told you not to do the thing that pleases God. You have freedom from the love of sin. But guess what? Even though you've been justified, even though you're working on your sanctification, you have sin dwelling in you. The enemy is sin. The desires of your sin nature is the opposite of what the Holy Spirit desires for you. No single sin of any kind is to be the master over a believer. You're either a person, a slave to sin, which happens by the law, or you're a person that is dead to sin, and that only happens by grace. So you're either one or the other. You'll have this conflict with sin for the rest of your life. Turn to John chapter 8. Gospel of John chapter 8. Gospel of John chapter 8. You need to put clickers on your phone. When you turn pages in your phone, you need to have some kind of clicker going off so I can hear you turning pages. Here you go. John, thank you. John chapter 8. Verse 31. I want you to read this. I wanted to read this. I'd like to, oh, I'd love to bring up each one of you. How do you read it? Listen, this is, this is a key for us to understand. In this battle with sin, you have your sin nature and you have the Holy Spirit. You have a battle going on. You have a battle going on. Verse 31. So, Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you will truly be disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you, what's the word? Free. 
I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Let me, wait a minute, let me do this again. Let me do this again. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they answered him, Well, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll, you, you will become free? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly. In other words, amen, amen. In other words, wake up, wake up. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. If you commit sin, you're a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does not remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now, if one day in your past, you were justified by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. If you were justified, God began the work of sanctification. And yes, it may have been a problem back then that you had more sins each day than you had righteous actions empowered by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're closer. Maybe you're swaying in the middle. 52%, 47%. Maybe you're swaying. Maybe you're closer. Maybe you're doing a little bit better. Maybe you're doing more righteous things than evil things, but you're still wavering a little bit, but you're growing. You're sanctifying yourself. It's working. The Word of God is in your life and empowering you. There are more acts of freedom that God does for you than He does not leave you alone. Okay? Now, they, they used to do this a long time ago. They don't do this anymore. But when you go to the YMCA to learn how to swim, you remember how they did it? They tossed you in the swimming pool. Okay, maybe it was just me. But they tossed you in the swimming pool. Okay? God doesn't toss you into the swimming pool of sanctification. He gives you things to help you in your work of sanctification. Ask me. What's he give you? Good. I'll give you just seven. Just seven. And since we're studying the book of Romans, I'll give them all to you from the book of Romans. Okay? Now, I'm going to give you two. As a matter of fact, if you look in the insert, I've given you the answers already, missing a couple words. So you don't slow me down in you writing long paragraphs. Okay? So, here you go. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. I hear you clicking. 6, verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Okay? Either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. Freedom. How does God... How does freedom given by God help in the work of sanctification? Number one, <clears throat> by being in the state of grace, the believer is freed from the power of death and now can be alive to righteousness. It's only by the work of Jesus Christ saving you that you can actually do anything righteous. And he gives you the ability to live for righteousness. And you are no longer controlled by the power of death. You're alive to righteousness. 
Turn to chapter 6, verse 22. Chapter 6, verse 22. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. How does freedom given by God help the work of sanctification? Number two, by being in a state of grace, the believer is freed from the power of aimlessness. Aimlessness. Today, and now live accomplishing what God wants from His servant. God gives you direction. Every day you wake up, God has a plan for you, a direction for you. He has good works for you to do that day. And He set you up and empowered you to do them. So that you will be enslaved to God, not aimless, running into this wall or that wall or that ditch or this ditch. <clears throat> You're enslaved to God. By the way, it's passive. In other words, you don't earn your way to be a slave of God. You're passively given the gift of being a slave by God to you. Permanent position produces daily actions of righteousness. Daily actions of righteousness. Believers have new power in his life and has authority to live that life. Chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 3. Romans chapter 7. This is like nine weeks ago or how long it was. Verse 3. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Remember this was the illustration Paul used, talking about the law and your relationship to the law and how death to the law changes your relationship. Number three, being in a state of grace, the believer is freed from the power of the law. You are free from the power of the law and now can be happily joined to Jesus Christ. You are joined to Jesus Christ. You are happy. You're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is far better than running into walls with sin. You can do things that will change lives forever. You have a life. You are part of the light, not darkness any longer. You will be happy. You'll not be trying to do anything, trying to earn your way to heaven. You're not doing all those things. You're believing only by grace. The method begins with the law, which leads to passions, leads to sinful actions, results in death. But God happily gives you death to the law through the death of Jesus Christ so that you are able to be free and marry someone else without any sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 5. Romans chapter 7, verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. To bear fruit from death. How does freedom given by God help the work of sanctification? Number four. By being in the state of grace, the believer is freed from the power of sinful passions. Sinful passions. That's the start of any sinful action. A sinful passion. That sinful passion gets nullified or weakened by the work of the Holy Spirit. And... That sinful passion won't produce fruit for death. And now you can bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to produce fruit that is pleasing to God and acceptable worship to Him. The result is sinner dies to the law, can no longer be condemned by the law. The law doesn't hold him accountable. The only thing that holds you accountable now is the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And you produce His fruit. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. I'll give you a little taste of what I think one of the best chapters in the Bible is. Chapter 8, verse 2. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Set you free from the law of sin and death. How does freedom given by God help the work of sanctification? Number 5. By being in a state of grace, the believer is freed from the power of sin and death and now can begin living eternal life. You have the privilege now to live according to eternal life. You can live life the way God intended it to be. This is what He desires for everyone in the world, to live alive and live it eternally with Him doing what pleases Him. Not because you, you have to to earn a salvation, but because you want to please Him with every action you commit. I am free. He's freed me once for all. The sinner can never be freed by himself or his work or his actions. God had to do it, and God did it. Law freeing us. Number six. Romans 8, verse 32. Romans 8, verse 32. He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? All things. How does the freedom given by God help the work of sanctification? Number six. Being in the state of grace, the believer is freed from the power of uncertainty. Uncertainty. In other words, you have no clue what's going to happen next. You don't know if it's a ditch or a wall. You don't know what you're going to run into as a non-believer. You don't have a clue. You hope and dream for things, but you don't have a clue. Power of uncertainty in the future. Now you can expect God to care for every biblical need. Every biblical need. I made that, made that a point there, every biblical need. That doesn't give you a new car every year, okay? That may not be your biblical need. But what God gives you is exactly what you need. And what you truly need. He gives it to you. And you don't earn it. You don't get it. You don't. It's not because you're 401k. It's not because of anything else. God gives you exactly what you need. And if God doesn't give it to you, you don't need it. Don't covet it. How will He not also freely... He's given you His Son so you can be saved, so you can be justified. He's given you His Son. He gives you everything else you need. If He gave you the harder thing, He'll give you the easier thing. And that's Everything. God will take care of you. Number six. Number seven. Chapter 16, verse 18. Chapter 16, verse 18. For such men are slaves. 
not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth, flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They deceive the hearts of others. You know what sinners say? Hey, I ran into a couple walls this week and it was great. You need to do it too. Hey, I ran into a ditch. It was great. You need to do it too. Thinking that getting more people to do the sin that you're doing will make it less sinful. How does freedom given by God help the work of sanctification? Number seven, by being in the state of grace, the believer is freed from the power of deception. The power of deception. You are free from deception. You no longer believe lies. You know the truth. You are free from the power of deception and now know and trust the absolute truth. And it comes from God. And He gives you the absolute truth. And you can be a slave of His and believe it absolutely. Because it's the truth. Living a life controlled by your sin nature will lead you to nothing but ditches and brick walls. And you will not You'll not be happy. That's why the biggest people group that commit suicide are the extremely wealthy. Because <laughs> they think all these things will please them, and they get there, and they realize it doesn't please them, so they kill themselves. Here you go. Application. Will I be joyful that God's work of salvation makes the believer free from the penalty of sin and death and gives the believer the promise for taking care of every concern with the grace of God. Without the grace of God, you're going to run into walls this week. With the grace of God, you're going to do things that will please Him. And your life will be better. Will I be joyful that God works salvation, makes the believers free from the penalty of sin and death, and gives the believer the promise of taking care of every concern with the grace of God? God's grace will take care of you. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to use an illustration here. Please, ladies in the room, do not throw things. Okay? It is not my intention to get things thrown at me. Okay? Hey, I'm, I'm telling you, the motive here is good. Okay? The illustration may not turn out good. So don't throw things. Here you go. Here you go. There was a very prominent photographer, photographer who uh, was uh, talking to a magazine, doing an interview, and he says there are actually very few beautiful women in the world. Now, I know you guys are all above average. Yes, I know. Okay? So don't throw things. He didn't meet you guys. He lives in Milwaukee. He doesn't know you. Okay? <laughs> He says it's interesting to see the number of people who do not know that they have a crooked nose or one eye smaller than the other or a lopsided face or some other fault. They don't realize it. They may look in the mirror every day, but they don't realize the faults they have with their features of their face. Because there's very few perfect faces. He says... I think the reason for this is because every time they look in the mirror, they're combing their hair or shaving or doing something with motion. 
Motion is the great deceiver when you're trying to evaluate beauty. Because if you're moving, you can't see the faults. If you're moving, you can't notice that one ear is bigger than the other. You can't notice your nose is crooked. You can't notice you don't have any hair. You can't notice. When the face is stationary, the faults appear. With every believer in this room, there's a battle going on. The battle is between the Holy Spirit and your sin nature. You have to, have to defeat the temptation to sin. Because life is better pleasing God. Don't let deception or motion tell you that sin is okay. Or little white lies are okay. Or little white gossip is okay. Don't go down that road. If the Bible says, the moral law of God says it's sin, it's sin. It will not please you. And every moment you give into it, you're taking away a moment where you could be pleasing God. Let's together, helping one another, please God more this week than we did last week. How about that? Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Father, you help us now as Paul changes directions and he talks about the sin that believers have in their lives. I pray, Father, that you would help everyone in this room with their point of sanctification. I pray, Father, for the people in this room that maybe have not been justified yet. And I pray, Father, that they'll hear the gospel message and turn their lives over to you. And that, Father, being brought into the light, they'll experience life, life eternal. And I pray, Father, they will begin the process of sanctification and this battle with sin. I pray, Father, you would be with us. Help us today. Help us, Father, to cut down the sins we commit on Sundays. And then tomorrow, Father, help us with that day. Help us, Father, keep our eyes on you. Help us, Father, keep our ears in your book, the Bible. Help us, Father, to keep our knees on the ground praying. Because help comes only by asking you. Be with us, Father. Thank you, Father, for all the freedom you give us. The victories that we, we take credit for that come from you and you alone. Thank you, Father, for the victories we have. Help us, Father, with our battles with sin. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.